0: Let's bow again. Father, thank you so much for uh this morning. Thank you so much for the uh privilege we have to come together to worship you and praise you together, to sing your your glory, Lord God, to hear your word. And I pray as we come to your word, Lord God, that you would help us to have prepared hearts ready to receive your word that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of your son Jesus so that you would be greatly glorified and magnified as your son works out his life in our lives. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, man in his or her sinfulness tends to compartmentalize pretty readily different things, different areas in our lives. We can put them in little boxes and to control them or whatever it might be. We can see things uh, very compartmentalized. And even as believers, sometimes we do that. We look at uh, the sacred. We think of certain times as sacred and holy, and sometimes as just secular, whatever it might be. You know, there is the world in the church that has this false uh, dichotomy between the sacred and the secular, between clergy and laity, for instance, that there's some special thing with the clergy, uh, and the lady, something different. But the reality is, if you're a believer, we are all in Christ, and we have differing gifts, and everything we do is sacred to him. Now, we might be tempted to think that our time together here is sacred, and it is. And yet, when we go out and go to our jobs or whatever it might be, that that's not sacred, we've just got to go to work. Well, the reality is, we're going to see that everything we do is sacred. Everything we do as believers is important if we are allowing Christ to live through us. And so today we're going to be looking at having been raised with Christ, having been saved by him, uh, how are we to live? And we're going to look at the work relationship. And so I hope we're going to gain some great insight from God's word concerning how we are to be in the context of work. Now, again, I'd like you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we are going. We'll be going from chapter from chapter three, verse twenty two to four one, and we're getting close to finishing Colossians. And so, be praying about what we'll do. I've had Revelation on my mind. That's possible. Uh, thinking about that, I know we did that in a, as a study, but maybe it's time to preach it from the pulpit. So, praying about that. Some other books, Ecclesiastes, other things. So, I'm starting to look into those. And so, pray for that. But right now, we're going to finish up Colossians. And so. Not today, but uh, we're going to get closer. Um, but as you know, if you've been with us, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, and he is in Rome, and it is about 62 A.D., and although he has never personally visited the Colossians, he has heard from their spiritual father, Epaphras, of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. But Epaphras, I don't believe, has just traveled that far 1,600 miles by foot to Rome to tell him that. He's also shared that there were threats to their faith, that there were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. There were those trying to use uh, 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 secular wisdom and man's wisdom repackaged religiously. Uh, they were packaging worldly wisdom in the context of religious shadows and the context of religious experience and religious rules. And we saw in chapter 2 that these are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So the Apostle Paul comes back and shares the most important thing, which is Christ, a focus on Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the only one that we need to be focused on. It is through him that we're complete. It is through him that we have a complete salvation. He is the one that is sufficient in everything, you see, because he brought redemption and he is before all things, he's the creator through him and by him all things were made. He's also the head of the church, the, the new creation and bringing that about through his death and burial and resurrection, bringing salvation through what he has done for us. And he has died to present us holy and blameless and he is um, in you and you are in him, Christ in you, the hope of glory and we saw in the book uh here in chapter 1 that Paul shared how uh, we are to minister. Uh it needs to be God's men ministering God's word proclaiming Christ that God's people would be made complete. We see that. And then he moved into chapter 2 and I've already alluded to the problems in chapter 2 and he warned us of those bad guys who are taking these worldly arguments, the ABCs of the world and twisting them around religiously, trying to take people spiritually captive. We're not to let them do that. We're not to do that. We're to, we're to, uh, stay focused on Christ because as I mentioned, in Him we are complete and in Him we have a complete salvation. And then we came to chapter three where we see we are to set our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. And we are to kill off those sins that are so horrible in the life of a believer. Kill off sexual sin. Don't let it live. Because in Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God. We can say no to sin by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And we are to uh, clothe ourselves with Christ, putting off sin and putting on Christ. And we saw that in everything we do, we should have his peace governing our actions, uh, controlling our actions, his ruling our hearts and our thoughts, and then allow his word to dwell richly in us. That rich word dwelling in us, producing, admonishing, and teaching in true worship. And then we saw even that in Ephesians chapter 5, in a parallel passage, that the word dwelling richly richly is is parallel to being filled with the Spirit. Uh, As the word is in us richly, the Spirit of God is enabled to then work in our hearts so that we might become more like Christ. And then we start to look at relationships, uh, ordered relationships that God has brought forth. And we saw, first of all, how um, we are to be in marriages, uh, wives and husbands. Uh, and then we saw the parent-child relationship last week. And now we're moving into what I would say is the work relationship. So again, let's look at Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 22. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, chapter 4, verse 1, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Now, obviously, we're looking at slaves and masters today, and therefore, we need to look at this idea of slavery. We need to address that. Now, why wouldn't uh the Lord just tell masters to set their slaves free and slaves to uh get away, right? Why wouldn't he just say that? If you have an opportunity, run away, because it's not good, right? Why does not he say that? Well, one uh, uh, pastor writes, Jesus never condemned or approved slavery directly. The New Testament doesn't condemn or approve it as an institution. And why? Uh, here's something the world just doesn't get. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come to change human institutions. He never marched against tyranny or campaigned against moral or social ills. He came to address a deeper slavery, a slavery to sin, to bring uh, s- salvation, to bring deliverance from sin. You know, in John chapter 18, uh, when Pilate is questioning Jesus about, uh, you know, he says he's a king, and then Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world, verse 36, if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. You see, we are heavenly citizens on a temporary sojourn through this world. Now we're going to see that doesn't say that we shouldn't be praying for our government to get saved. We shouldn't be praying that we can live a peaceful and quiet life. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus didn't come to restore institutions on this earth. That will not happen until He is reigning with a rod of iron in the millennium, when He is reigning, when when He is reigning uh, justly. And so here we see that certainly and. But, you know, by God's grace and his providence, you know, in answer to prayer, we may have times where where we enjoy blessings. We may have times where the Lord bestows upon certain nations by raising up those who have been redeemed in their government or by establishing them in the beginning. But there are also times where God in his sovereign allowance allows oppression and persecution for disciplinary action and redemptive purposes. It's just what we see. Now concerning slavery in the first century, let me share a few things. It's not as we see it now. Um, It was an economic reality in the Roman Empire. The whole economy was based on slavery, and indeed there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, from laborers all the way to doctors. There were skilled slaves and there were unskilled slaves. Now the reasons people would be enslaved were through acquisition of war. Some country took over another. Rome took over someone. they They became slaves, whatever it might be, or kidnapping. But that was on the decrease at this time. And by the first century, slaves were mostly born into slavery. Now, with God's grace and through his providence, our American republic, not democracy, we're a republic, by the way, our American republic, by and large, from its founding, was moving away from the idea of slavery from the beginning and eventually eliminated it in the context of a civil war. You see, now that praise the Lord that God allowed people in our country who had in uh, leadership positions who were seeking Him and doing what was right. So how does this apply to us now? Well, interestingly, the slavery that we see back in the Roman Empire was, again, much like the work relationship. We'll see later on in um, Titus chapter two that slaves are being commanded not to be argumentative. Wait a second, How can you be argumentative if you're a slave? That means you have a relationship within that, almost like a work relationship. You know, we see it almost like that, that slavery at this time was like almost a work relationship. And therefore, the applications, I believe we're going to see, have to do with the work relationship that we have right now. They apply across the board. Now, we're going to look at what God has to say about work. And obviously, if you're working, you are a slave to your boss from 8 to 12 hours a day, whatever it might be. You're a slave you you got to do what they say for that entire time, right? You're under their rules, you're under everything they say, or you get fired, right? Now, what does God have to say about work? Well, uh first of all, if you're out of work, uh, and it's not because you're lazy, uh, don't let this discourage you, but but take the principles and apply them when you get in work, and be diligent as you are seeking work. make your job to find a job in that context. And if you are, as we'll see, lazy and not working, or some men are not working as, out of laziness. They're not trying to find work, not do anything. God will address that, as we'll see in Scripture. So what does God have to say about work now? And then we'll get to our passage, okay? What does he have to say about work? We read it earlier, but let's turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And this is in the context of the fall. Adam has disobeyed God's command. And uh, he is now hearing the consequences, which affect all of us, by the way. Genesis 3.17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken for for, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Lord made it clear that the wages of sin is death, that uh, if they were to disobey him, they would surely die, and they died spiritually that day, and yet there were consequences but as as we're going to see, these are redemptive consequences uh these are consequences in terms of the curse. That uh, are to humble mankind. To rec- they would recognize they're in a sinful state and need a savior. God brings those consequences. So uh, for this context here, as we look at Genesis, it's the man in the context of marriage who was to work. And I'll talk about when we don't worry. We'll talk about all this stuff. Um, but it's the man. He didn't say Eve. Uh, by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread. He said Adam. He said Adam. Right. Now, this leads to a controversial question concerning what does the word say about women in the workforce? Well, it doesn't say much, actually. We see in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, Lydia, Lydia was described as a seller of purple fabrics, and there is no hint of condemnation there. Okay? And I see no biblical restriction on unmarried women or married women without children or with grown children from working. I don't see anything biblically. Yet for those who are married... Scripture is clear that husbands, you are responsible to provide. You're ultimately responsible. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? Now, it's not the married woman's responsibility to provide. It's the man's. However, there may be times where if there's no children or grown children, they may help their husbands by working. Remember, they're helpers, right? Nothing biblically against that. Now concerning women with children, scripture does lay forth and speak to this. And it lays forth a paradigm in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good that they may encourage or speak to the mind, speak soundly, uh, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, this is to young women, to be sensible, have your right thinking, to be pure workers at home. Kind, being subject to their own husbands that the word of God may not be dishonored. Take for instance what the apostle Paul tells those widows in 1st, uh, Timothy chapter 5 who are of marrying age still. They're not too, they're not past the, the age. 1 Timothy 5.14, Therefore I want younger women to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Now this is very unpopular in our society and in many churches, but God's very clear. Uh, women with children, that's children, not adult children, living in the basement watching video games, this is a for women with children, right? It, it is. It is... For them, they are to keep house and raise their children. They, God has ordained their blessed role. And now, can there be some supplementary work in that? Sure, look at the Proverbs 31 woman. She's raising children. She's doing everything. She's taking care of her household. She's selling stuff, you know. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. But your primary task is to keep house and raise the children. And anything that would thwart that would be sin, Now sadly, there are some unfortunate circumstances or sad circumstances where a woman with children might need to work or be away from her children, such as a death of a spouse, um, abandonment or consequences to personal sin, which can be forgiven. Okay. In these cases, we need to pray and come alongside them and support them so that they'd eventually be able to get back to their children. So we say, we need to love, right? We need to love. Now scripture also gives a couple other reasons why we should work. One is that when we don't work, we become an undue burden on the body of Christ. It is unloving when you don't work, when you are taking from the rest of the body of Christ. It's unloving. Now, God has ordained that we love one another, and there are times when we do good, and that's okay. But if you are not working because of your own personal issues, rather than, and you're not obeying God, then this is an issue. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is really important. This is really important. We had uh, some people uh, in 1 in, in the Thessalonians, uh, these believers, they came to faith in the first three weeks. Uh, Paul was there, they came to faith, and, and they basically were looking for Jesus' coming, and apparently some people had kind of quit their jobs because Jesus is coming, and they are waiting, and they are starting to become a burden, you know. Jesus isn't here yet, and I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Anybody got a sandwich, right? You know, and so it started to be a burden. And so the Apostle Paul, when he writes them again, he shares uh what he had said to them and what they are to do. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians. And he even said that they were an example. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received. Now, we can think of all kinds of things, what it might mean by an unruly life, and not according to tradition. Think of all sorts of terrible things uh, some brother might be doing. But here, we're going to see the one leading an unruly life is simply one that's not working. Notice what he says here. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. Now, Paul said they took money from other churches at times, but they didn't take it from here because they needed to be an example because they had an issue, you see? So they worked and they showed them that. And then he says here... Uh, For even when we were with you, that's the first few weeks they got saved, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. I hear people, you know, they say, oh, there's no jobs available. Oh, they won't hire me. they got a million excuses. Oh, my back hurts. Oh, this or that, you know. A million excuses to not work, okay? And it's sin, it's sin. It's an unruly lifestyle. It is out of step. And guess what? People who choose to disobey God and are in sin, they're not happy. Their lives are messed up. See, work is a good thing. There's through labor, there's profit. It's a blessing. God gives us things to do. Okay? Because says, would not work, neither let him eat. Basically, hey, don't give him the sandwich, right? Um, uh, For we here, some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, But acting like busybodies. And by the way, when you're not working, you got a lot of time to be a busybody. you got a lot of time to think about everyone else around you and all that's going on. You know, right? And acting like busybodies, okay? Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord to work. Now, if you're listening and you're not working, you're not even looking for work, this is what God says to you. He is commanding you to work. He is commanding you to work. Uh, and he says here, in, in a quiet fashion, and eat their own bread. Stop pulling money away from other people or food. It is unloving to do so. What you're pulling away could be used for the body of Christ, for what God wants to do, not for your laziness. Okay, it's unloving. And so he says here, uh, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. That means, hey, you got to address these issues, right? Um, and if anyone does not obey our instructions, let her take special note of that man. Put their name down. Hey, so-and-so is not willing to work. And it says here, and do not associate with him. Hey, it means you're not going to hang out with him. You're not going to fellowship with him. Hey, it's game night. Nope, sorry. Right? You're not coming. You got to get a job. Right? Don't associate. I want to come over and eat lunch with you guys. No, nope. no. Nope, we love you. But no, get a job. God says you need to get a job. It says here, special, do not associate him so that he may be put to shame. Now, I'm not saying this to give you my suggestions. This is what God says, okay? And it's for their good. And yet, do not regard him as an enemy. He's not an enemy. He's a brother that's in sin that needs help, right? He's got it, got it mix, get mixed up and needs to get working, right? It's just that simple. He needs to get out and get a job, okay? But admonish him as a brother, okay? So one reason we work is to not be an undue burden on the rest of the body of Christ. But another reason why we work, Ephesians chapter 4, is that we might be able to give to those who are actually in true need. Ephesians 4, and I'll read this for you. Let him who steals, verse 28, steal no longer. Rather, let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who is in need. And that's not the guy that isn't working. (laughs) Okay? He needs to be shamed so that he gets a job, okay? This is those who are truly in need. There are times when people want to work. They're trying their best. They can't find a job. They're doing their best. They're whatever it might be, in transition, whatever it is. That's not what I'm talking about here in 1st, 2nd, test. It is, that's the unruly life, okay? So here, we see that. So are you lazy? Get to work. Are you working? Realize part of why you're working is to share with those in need. Part of why you're working, Okay, so with that in mind, let's get to our passage and see what workers are to be in Christ, okay? Look at our passage. Verse 22, Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Let's stop there for now, and we'll, we'll uh, take a look at this portion first. But we're going to see that we should be totally different at work. You shouldn't just be a certain way at church. We should be a certain way all the time. We should be different as workers. And I hear people complain about work and stuff, and I just go, Ooh, don't do it. We should be different. We should be different. And hopefully it's just convicting to all of us because we're all tempted with the same things. So here, notice, first of all, we have the mandate. We are to obey our earthly masters in everything. Wow. Now, this was slavery, but it certainly applies To the work relationship, we see that crossover in like what slavery was like in the Roman Empire. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Now, there are a few other passages and we're gonna, we're gonna dip into each one, but not fully that much, but just so you know, there's a lot said in the Bible about work, by the way. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 6 to 9, we'll look at that. Titus chapter 1 verses 9 to 10, we'll look at that. 1 Timothy 6 1 to 2, we'll look at that. And First Peter 2, 18 to 20. We have a lot of passages about work. This is actually pretty important, by the way. Okay, so in each of these passages, we're going to see that they all speak of slaves or bond servants. The word is doulos, except for one, which is First Peter, where he uses the term of a domestic servant. Okay, First Peter doesn't say doulos, as he uses the term of a domestic servant. But much slavery was like that at that time. It was much like that, Okay. So we see there, this slaves, bond servants, you know, you're a slave to your boss, uh, for the time you're there. They tell you what to do and you do it, right? You're a slave to your boss. Now we as believers are also called bond slaves of the living God. We are voluntary, willing slaves of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, but that we seem to, to apply in certain areas of our lives. We compartmentalize it, but it should apply to all areas of our lives, especially in the work relationship. So back in our passage, slaves in all things obey those of your masters on earth. The term is obey. Uh, we are to obey. And we have a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5. And I mentioned this. Ephesians 5 verse, or Ephesians 6, excuse me, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as to Christ. We see that there. We also see the idea of not just obedience but submission. Uh Titus chapter one and also first Peter speak of submission. Titus oh, excuse, I keep saying once, not one, it's Titus two, change that back. Titus two verse nine. Urge blonde slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. First Peter two eighteen. Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect. Okay, so there's not only obedience, there is submission. There's submission. Now the church these days kind of seems submission is like a dirty word. Uh, it doesn't, don't want to say that because we don't want to offend people and they won't come to church, right? <laughs> we talk about submission and people won't like following Jesus and they won't come, right? Well, when people's hearts are changed, then we're receptive to the word of God and we're receptive to what God has to say. But we need to recognize that when we do not submit, we are Exhibiting pride, we're exhibiting pride. Think of these passages: um, James chapter four, verse six. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, "God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Submit, therefore, to God. Right? Think of First Peter five: You young men, younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and clothe yourselves all—you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the reality is um, when we don't want to submit, we got pride that has crept in. Pride that's crept in, and we need to confess that, right? Because we are a people bent to pride, aren't we? Pride is the core of our sinfulness at times. So back in our passage, slaves in all things obey those of your masters on earth. The term obedient, we've seen this also uh, earlier. We've seen it has to do with with children obeying the Lord. We saw that. It means to put your ear under, to listen. To listen to do. Hupakuo. Put your ear under it so that you can hear it and then do what's said. That means you need to listen to your bosses, by the way. You listen to what they're saying. You're not sitting there going blah, 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 blah. You know, you're listening to what they say. They're telling you what to do. You're listening, right? You're listening to obey what they say. And it's in a continual obedience. Continually, habitually obey your, uh, masters. And notice what it is. It says here, um, who we are to obey, says in our passage, those who are your masters on earth. Now, literally, I don't know why they didn't say it this way, but it's literally your masters according to the flesh. And Ephesians will say the same thing. You see, we live in us two spheres. We live in a physical world and a spiritual sphere. And our master is in the spiritual sphere, but it applies to the physical sphere, sphere right? And so in this physical place, we've got people that we that we uh, have as masters, Right? It's in the work relationship. We are to obey our masters who are according to the flesh. 1 Peter 2.18, be submissive to your masters. Titus 2.9, I said 1.9 earlier, but 2.9, be subject to their own masters. Pretty simple and straightforward command. Bond slaves are commanded in all things to obey and submit to those who are their masters on earth. That's pretty, pretty. you know, I hear people complain about work all the time. yes. You know, sometimes we do need to talk about it. Hey, this is what's happening. Pray for me. You know, we need to share some stuff. That's fine. But we got to be careful that it doesn't become complaining. We're to do all things without complaining and arguing, right? Because it becomes complaining. We get focused. Then we start looking at our bosses wrongly. We start seeing things wrongly. We start seeing our work relationships wrongly, okay? So here, we're obedient. And notice this sphere. It says here, um, in all things. Wow, that's, there's there's no room for, for anything else, right? In all things. Uh, and uh, we see in all things, in Titus 2.9, it says, In everything, there's not one sphere that your earthly master can command you to do that you are not to obey. Now, obviously, if he's calling on you to sin, you're a, you're a bookkeeper, and he's saying, uh, ignore the so-and-so account, just don't write any numbers in there, or whatever, you know, of course you're not going to sin, right? But you obey your masters in everything, right? In everything. In everything. So I want to ask you, are you listening to your masters in the flesh with the intent of obeying everything, submitting to them? So God says, if your boss asks you to do it and it's not sin, do it. Do it, right? You better do it. Because as we're going to see, your boss is not the real boss. It is the Lord Christ you serve, but you are serving Christ through that boss. Lots of people say, yeah, I serve Christ, and they remove that boss and put him over in this t- compartment, right? Uh-uh. You're serving this earthly boss because you're serving Christ, right? When your boss comes and says something to you to do, it's Christ coming through them and saying, do it. Okay, we got to think that way. we got to think that way. Because when we do, then we are going to be good employees. And we're going to be those that reflect the nature of Jesus, right? And we're going to have redemptive opportunities because our bosses are not going to treat us well. Our bosses are not uh, not glorified, right? They're sinners, and they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to treat people, and there's bad bosses out there. And when we do what is right for our conscience towards God, it finds favor with him, right? First Peter chapter 2. So then everything... Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. But wait a second, you don't know my boss. He is not a good man. She's not a good boss. They're terrible. Oh, and I could have 10 million excuses about how bad they are, right? Well, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because here's the solution to what do we do if there's a bad boss. 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all respect. First Peter two eighteen. Not only to those who are good and gentle. That meant there were some good, good bosses right back that day. Good servant masters, right? But also those who are unreasonable. Get your picture into slavery. It's a little different. It's more like work, you see, back in that day. Okay. He says here, uh, for th- if those are unreasonable. For this finds favor, for the sake of conscience towards God, that's the key. A man bears up, God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. They're not treating you right. You, you just bear up. I had a horrible boss when I was a pilot. He belittled me. He treated me horribly all the time in front of everybody. Everything that went wrong, he always blamed me in front of all the people. It was really bad. And I wanted to leave. I loved the flying, but I couldn't stand my boss. But I didn't leave until the Lord had me leave. You see? And you might just say, oh, it's my it's terrible work. I'm going to go look for another job. There's so many jobs out there. Yeah, maybe, but you better pray first. You better pray, Lord, do you want me to leave this job? Or do you want me to submit here and continue in this job that you might be glorified? we got to be careful. We can't be our decision. Never lean your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. But God may open a door after prayer to leave. And he did with me. It took years, but he did with me. And it was right. It was right. You know, when I told my boss I was leaving... He was like just silent, you know, because he knew his control over me was done. You know, one time I was flying and his lawyer was in the seat next to me. You know, we let people sit up there. And he started saying, did you know every time you tell Joe that you have something important to do, like a wedding or something, he always calls us to work those days? I said, yep, that's what happens, you know. We had an unreasonable boss. He was unreasonable, unreasonable. But you know what? We're to, for conscience towards God, were to do the right thing, right? Doesn't mean you don't pray, Lord, if you want me to go somewhere else. That's nothing wrong with that. But you stay in that situation until God leads you out of that, not you leading yourself out of there, okay? You stay in that situation. Now, uh, some people don't want to hear that, basically. What about slaves these days? They probably would have desired to be free, right? Run away, whatever it might be. But if you look a little further in that passage in 1st Peter, he says, 1st Peter 2:20, for what credit is there if you if when you sin and are treated harshly you endure it with patience? Hey, you blow it at your job or you sin and then they treat you harshly? There's no credit. Right? But he says here, but when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. That's pretty important. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. Your job just might be you following in the footsteps of Christ because he's going to use it for redemptive opportunities the way you respond to a bad boss. So before you run away and get another job, I'd be praying, Lord, is this where you want me to go yet? And if God gives you the green light, then go ahead. But uh, notice we see here this is what God says we're to do. Okay, so then... We are working and we are to obey these commands to be obedient in everything. Are you listening? Are you obedient? If not, if you go, Boy, I wasn't there. I had a bad attitude there, this and that. Just confess it, be forgiven, and step forward, right? Don't get into a guilt trip. You know, that's just pride. That's self-focus. Confess it. Lord, I was wrong. When they asked me to do that, I had a bad attitude. When he asked me to do that, I had a bad attitude. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I'm so sorry. And he'll forgive you, okay? forgive you. Okay, so... That's the command. We're to obey in everything. Now look at the manner. There's a manner in which we obey. Because you could have the Eddie Haskells that come and obey. Oh oh Mrs. Cleaver, I did the trash. You know <laughs> on the back side, his heart's all wrong, right? You know, doing eye service, whatever lip service, right? So look at our passage. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. There's a duality here. You're working for the Lord, but you're treating your people well, right? Okay. Notice he says here, not with a foe fear of man. A foe uh, fear of man, or a man, as a man pleaser, or an eye, eye service. The term says not with external service, or literally with eye service. You know, eye service. What does that mean? That means doing the things to be seen by somebody. Your boss says vacuum, you're like, and he walks up the door and you're like, right? That's eye service. That's doing it for him. Not that way. We're not to do that way, right? We're not to do things for our bosses merely for eye service, as those who merely please men, or are literally in, in Greek, are man pleasers. They're out there to please men. Hey, if we we're gonna please men, we wouldn't be bondservants of Christ, right? Galatians 1. It should be from a different motive. So he says, don't do that! We are not to be those who do that. And there are people in every work location, you've, if you've worked, you've seen people like that, who are like that. They are, uh, they are at the job when the boss is looking, and the minute the boss turns the other way, it's all out the window, right? That's eye service, that's man pleasing, okay? Okay, we're not to do that. And what about Ephesians? Chapter 6, verse 5. I'll read this for you. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service or man pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, before we misunderstand this and say, well, I'm not going to please my boss, I'm not going to be a man pleaser, you know, we're not start to have a bad attitude, we should be pleasing to our bosses. We should be the most pleasing employees. When they think of their employees, they probably have a huge weight of burden. There's probably a few that come and go, hmm, wow, that's a blessing. You know what I'm saying? That's, you know, we should be man pleasers and that's, we should be pleasing them. We should be not man pleasers, but well pleasing. Look at our passage here. And actually, let's, let's go to, let's turn to Titus chapter two, because this helps us see some of the motivations. Turn to Titus chapter two. We should not have a fake fear of man or a fake man pleasing for a show, but we should be well-pleasing. We should. Titus chapter 2, verse 9, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be what? Look at this. Well-pleasing. Not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. The term well-pleasing comes from the Greek verb you, aristos, you speaking of good Aristos, uh, speaking of that which is pleasing your aristos. And so here we see that we should be continually, habitually well-pleasing. Let me ask you, are you well-pleasing to your bosses? Are they pleased when they think of you and that you do your work and they're yeah, well-pleasing? It speaks of continual habitual action. And then notice um, it speaks of well-pleasing here. And it's interesting, every other time this word is used, it speaks of being well-pleasing to God. But where do we well-pleasing to our masters? Because through them we're serving the Lord, right? Ultimately we serve Christ and not man. So we should be well-pleasing to our masters on earth and then we're well-pleasing to Him. You know, we need to recognize uh, that this is what the Lord wants us to be. It's not man-pleasing. It's not eye service. It's a heart that is pleasing God and thus pleasing your, your boss. Now, in this context here, this well-pleasing here, it actually, in this statement here, that will be well-pleasing, and then there's uh, some things that are connected to it grammatically. So everything is well-pleasing, and these other things are connected. It's well-pleasing and not doing this. Well-pleasing and this. You see, it's all connected, okay? So looking here, he says, to be well-pleasing, and then he says, not argumentative. Not argumentative. Anti-LEGO. Anti-against-LEGO to say means to contradict, to oppose, to argue. There is It speaks of verbal opposition. There is no way to be well-pleasing when you are opposing your boss with your words. There's no way. There's no way. We are not to be argumentative. You may be absolutely right. This is the way it needs to be done, and if you don't do it this way, there's a way to share those things with your boss, hopefully, without being argumentative. And if they don't listen, you just trust the Lord and you do, you do your work heartily unto the Lord, right? And that? To be well-pleasing, but you're not well-pleasing if you're arguing with your boss. I'll tell you that right now. Any, any, if you've ever been in a position where you've had an employee and they argue with you, that is not well-pleasing. It is not well-pleasing. Don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Now it needs to come from a, a right heart. It's not some false, disingenuous, uh, thing that we saw, eye service, where you're being real nice to them, around them, but then doing something different, okay? And then notice he talks about something else. He says not pilfering. The term pilfering, nos uh, uh speaks of holding back, misappropriating, stealing, embezzling. It's, it's the same uh, thing that was used to speak of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it was used to speak of Achan, Pilfering the gold, you know? Okay? It's not good. It's not good. You see, we are to not hold back or take anything that's not ours. We're not to do that. We are to be those, uh, who do not take anything. You know, sometimes your, your company will have rules that say, hey, you know, you can do this, you know, pencils, if you do our pencil, that's fine. You know, whatever it might be. You know, or they say, hey, you know, don't worry about it. You, you got a five minute window when you come to work, whatever. You know, they, 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 they you know those rules. But when you are late, you're stealing from your boss, right? When you're taking pencils and pens and stuff from work, you're stealing, you're pilfering, and when you're not doing your work, you're on the internet the whole time. You are stealing time from your boss, okay? You're pilfering, right? We're not to be doing that. Now, your boss may say, "Hey, you can uh, if you need to look at something." You know, there may be certain rules within your work that you can do certain things, but you know, one, year it's not right, not pilfering. Not pilfering. Not arguing and not pilfering. But notice what he says. But showing all good faith. The term showing means demonstrating. Means giving outward proof. Giving ample evidence. The term good faith uh, speaks of faithfulness or trustworthiness. But demonstrating outwardly trustworthiness. That you are trustworthy. How's that? You ask you to do something, you do it. you know what a horrible thing if a messenger you know a bad messenger right it's like uh like thorns in your hands and you know whatever it might you know that problem right someone who doesn't do what you ask him to do, or they argue with you not right, not right so here demonstrating all good faith or faithfulness. You should be giving ample evidence in your actions that you're trustworthy, that you are trustworthy at work. Now, we can't be that way apart from Jesus in us, right? And Apart from trusting him, so we've got to have the word in our hearts. If we're having issues, we've got to have the word in our hearts, right? We're to be, in relationship to our earthly masters, well-pleasing, not argumentative, pilfer, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And then turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 18. We're also to be respectful. Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all respect. The term respect comes from the Greek word phobos. It means fear. And notice he has to modified it with all respect. Not just respect, with all respect. We need to recognize that God has sovereignly placed that authority in our lives, and we are to respect the Lord as our authority and those He places in that authority with all respect. Now, we can lose respect for our masters in a relationship order. We can lose respect, but it doesn't say if they treat you badly, lose respect. Remember, in this same passage he's saying, even if they're bad in First Peter. He doesn't say, Well, if they're bad, don't respect them. We're to have all respect them because you, at that moment, are under their authority because God says so. You see, so with all respect, that means you got to watch what you say around your coworkers about your boss. It's not respectful to talk about your boss and say, oh, you know, whatever. That's not respectful at all, right? That's not not good, right? With all respect. Servants, be submissive to your own masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And you know what? We're also to treat them worthy of all honor. This is pretty heavy. Put on, you're saying, Greg, you're laying it on thick, aren't you? Well, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, when I look at the slavery in our country, and this kind of came across, and I think, you know, the, the, the blacks who were enslaved, Were a lot of them were very religious, and they were very respectful, and they were very there. A lot of these things they were obeying, you know that. And God did set them free. But now you see these bad attitudes coming out that are not respectful at all, you know. And we need to be respectful. We need to honor all men, right? Honor all men. Notice here, First Timothy six verse one: Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Wow! So that the name of God and our doctrine might not be spoken against respect and the act worthy of all honor that's pretty thick isn't it we need to do that we need to do that you know because god is going to use your righteous reactions to the way they treat you for his redemptive purposes you see because we're not here just to work we're not here to work you know all week long and then do our own thing and then eventually we die and go to heaven God is using us now in His redemptive plan, and part of that, He's taking the curse in which you're working, and you're under a bad boss, or whatever it might be, and He's using it for His good. For redemption. For redemption. We gotta see it from a bigger picture. Worthy of all honor. God has placed them in temporary authority over you, and when you respect them and honor them, regardless of how they treat you, you're respecting God's authority. Okay, and you're honoring the Lord. Now, what if your boss is a believer? Okay, take a look a little farther down at 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 2, and this is after granting them all honor. And let those who have believers as their master not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. Oh, you think, hey, you got a little off there because there's a brother, right? You better not do so. But let them serve them all the more, all the more. Because those who partake of the benefit are believers believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Brother and sister, how how do you treat those in authority over you? How do you treat them outwardly? How do you treat them in your heart? How do you do so? Do you see yourself, as we will see, as serving Christ? Serving Christ? It's a hard attitude. Look back in our passage in Colossians. Slaves in all things obey those who are masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men. But now he gives the obvious contrast. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This term sincerity here means singleness. It means an undivided heart. That my heart is not divided into categories and boxes. I am serving the Lord by serving my boss. It is singleness of heart. It is sincerity of heart. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to hate one or love the other. And notice he says, fearing the Lord. We're to do with singleness of heart and fearing the Lord. And again, parallel passage in Ephesians. Slaves, 6-5, be obedient to those of your masters according to your flesh with fear and trembling, phobos and traumas. We should be, the word phobos is fear, traumas means trauma. We should be trauma, we should be traumatized at the thought of disobeying God by disobeying our bosses. That should cause us to be traumatized. That I would go that that I would be rejecting what God has said to to to, to go this way against my boss or whatever it might be. With fear, phobos, and traumas. You see having no concept of God before coming to faith, having no fear of God before our eyes, we just winged it for selfish motives. We were man-pleasers. We did eye service. We did whatever was best for us. We didn't like it. We took off and did something else. You know, that's not the way we're to be. Now we are to submit to our Lord by submitting to our bosses and obeying them with fear and respect. We need to have different... We should be the best employees. Oh, man, there should be such difference. If you obey these things, man... Wait till what I see what happens at your work, man, and women, right? Right? So then, this should be in the forefront of our minds as we work. And work is hard. It's by the sweat of our brow. Remember, it's just a season. We're going to find rest. We're going to have rest in, in, for eternity, right? Uh, it's It's hard, but it's good. It's good. So he says, with sincerity of heart, f- fearing the Lord. And then notice what he says, and he kind of sums this up here in 23. This is really important. Whatever you do, poyeo, whatever you do, whatever you do, and then he says, Do your ergon heartily. So he's saying whatever you do, and the context is work here, it's not everything else. Now we can apply it to everything in our lives, but the context is work. Whatever you do, do your work, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Yes, I'm respecting them, I'm honoring them, but I'm not working for them. I'm working for Jesus. He's my boss, and you're in between, and that's why I'm going to respect you and honor you. The term heartily here speaks of uh, the soul, suke, from the soul, ek suke, from the heart, from the from the core of your being. From the core of your being, you work for the Lord rather than men. Do it heartily as for the Lord in everything, in everything, rather than for men. So let me ask you, have you failed? I have. I think you've all failed too. Um, maybe you've become lazy, disrespectful, have a bad attitude. Confess. Be forgiven. And allow God's word to change your heart towards your boss and your circumstances and do it hardly as for the Lord rather than for men. And then notice there's a motivation here in our passage. Knowing, verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. This is the key. When you go to work, you're serving Christ. Don't compartmentalize your life. Here's serving Christ at church. Here's serving Christ out in the missionary field. You're serving Christ at your work. It is the Lord and also in our relationships too. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, and then Osti explains, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. You see, fellow believer, God is not unjust to reward us when we're obedient to Him by obeying our bosses. When we're obeying our bosses by with our heart obeying Him, God's going to reward you. And this is an interesting word here, and it's only found here in 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 the New Testament in this context the word, re- it speaks of not just a reward, but a recompense or a repayment. It's like, guess what? You're getting double pay. You got your paycheck, but you're going to get paid from the Lord. He's going to recompense you. He's going to repay. It's not the word repay. He's going to pay you. And he says here, the reward a repayment of the inheritance. In this inheritance, as we see, this term is a wonderfully interesting word. Uh, it's, it has to do with us being heirs and receiving all things. He's going to repay you for what you're doing now in the context of our glorious heavenly inheritance. It's Christ whom you serve. It's Christ whom you serve. But with that, you need to recognize there's also a payment maybe the opposite way. For 25, for he who does wrong will see the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. You see, there is a judgment seat of Christ. Colossians chapter, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know, God's not mocked. wherever you sow, you're going to reap, right? You're going to sow, you're going to reap that. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, um, verse seven: With good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good thing one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Isn't that tremendous? Whatever you do in your work situation, when you do into the Lord and you work in Him, you're going to receive it back. Wow! There is great reward for for what we do in our work relationships. It is. The Lord Christ, whom you serve. That's the main point. When you go to work, you're serving Christ. Lord Jesus, help me do this well. Help me be well-pleasing, Lord God. Help me learn this to the best of the ability. Lord, help me do my work. Help me respond rightly when they they treat me wrongly. Help me not to be argumentative. Help me not to to fall into that temptation to steal time from my body, whatever it might be. It's the Lord you serve. It's the Lord you serve. We're run out of time, but let me finish up here and talk about masters for a minute, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. The term masters here comes from the Greek word curious, where we get Lord. When you see the large cap Lord in the New Testament, it's the same word, but it's speaking of the Lord. But here, you are a Lord of your servants. If you're a boss, okay? He says, grant them, and it's interesting, this word grant is an interesting word. It means hold out or offer continually. Offer continually rightness, righteousness, and fairness. You can be right and fair. That's what you should be as a building boss, right and fair, right? Keep offering, 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 offering that, right? And then one last passage to look at, uh, Ephesians 6, 9, and masters uh, do the same things to them, give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. That layers, levels the playing field, doesn't it? You both have the same master. You may be a master on earth and they may be a slave, but you have the same master. So you better treat them well. You better not threaten them. You better treat them well. You better grant them, as we saw, grant them that righteousness and fairness, Right? Okay. Offer them justice and fairness. If you're an employer, uh, stop threatening, be just and fair, right? Okay. So then, we've seen if we, if we've been raised with Christ, how are we to be? How are we to be in the work relationship? Give me a lot today, right? The bottom line is, it is Christ Jesus whom we serve, and there will be rewards for what we do, a repayment for what we do, serve with the right heart. Don't serve with a foe, uh, phoniness. Uh, honor your, your boss. Honor. Respect them. Worthy of all honor. Respect. And do your work heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this instruction, Lord God. And uh, many of us have worked and we've worked a lot over the years. And forgive us when we have failed in these areas, Lord God. And help us to be determined to have your word dwell richly in us concerning the work relationship. That these passages would be working through our hearts and minds as we go to work, as we serve, or as we are bosses. Whatever it might be, Lord God, that we would recognize it is the Lord Christ whom we serve. And Father, I do pray for anyone who's not saved, who recognizes they are like this, they... Just give lip service, eye service. They don't fear you, don't fear man. That they might turn to Christ and be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, may we obey your word so that you would be greatly glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name.